Yes, because as leaders, we're going to get what we model, create, and allow. And it's not we're going to get what we post and email and text. Like we're going to get the things that we live out, that we actually intentionally design for, and the things that we allow to continue happening. Though that's what's going to ultimately create the culture that we have. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. We give you practical tips and proven frameworks and share ways to help you delight your customers. I can't tell you how excited I am to have my guest on the show today, who is an author, who is a uh, designer of pajamas. We're going to talk about that, (laughs) who is a serial entrepreneur and work with one of the most coveted, respected brands in all the world, Chick-fil-A for 18 years. She recently, uh, last year, wrote a book called The Power of Customer Experience. We're going to dig into that a little bit. And, uh, and she talks about the five elements to really making an impact in her book when it comes to business. She worked for brands like Disney, Gap, YMCA, Cooper Aerobics uh, Center. She was uh, mentored by renowned leaders like Dan Cathy at Chick-fil-A. Horace Schultze, and uh, our guest brings almost 20 years of experience as a leader in the Chick-fil-A Support Center, where she served in service and hospitality, strategy and research development, and uh, human resources. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome my guest, Elizabeth Dixon. Thank you, Mark. I'm so glad to be with you. This will be fun. So cool to have someone from Chick-fil-A on the Delighted Customers podcast. And just to, to, I'm not just saying that, just to tell you and the audience a little bit about the company that you work for for 18 years. Every month for eight years, we led a new hire orientation for every new employee at the bank that I work with from the assistant to the assistant teller to an executive officer whoever came through they went through cx day it was a full day one of the questions we we had this activity called favorite brands and we asked the employees whatever walk of life they came from what were some of their favorite brands and we usually had time for five or six i will tell you i would say 90 percent of the monthly meetings we had chick-fil-a's name got mentioned as one of their favorite brands up there with companies like um, Southwest Airlines, Starbucks, Costco, uh, sometimes JetBlue, American Express, Ritz-Carlton. These these brands, Chick-fil-A always made an appearance. And I am just so honored to have you on the show. Would you, would you uh, share with the audience a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today and what you're doing now? Yeah, sure. Well, I um, I came from a very entrepreneurial family, and I didn't know that that was unique until later in life. And so I started my first business while I was in college, and I'm sure I broke a lot of rules 
um, because I just thought that's what everybody did. So when it came time to graduating and applying for jobs, a part of that whole journey um, found me interviewing for a role with Chick-fil-A to start a health and wellness program for them. And they were looking for someone with about 10 years experience. And I was about 10 years younger than they were anticipating when I started. I was 21, fresh out of college. But I'd had a lot of experience in business growing up because that was the environment that I grew up in. And so fast forward, after 20 years, really being about 10 years in um, human resources and wellness and about 10 years in um, customer experience and marketing and specifically hospitality, then our chairman of Chick-fil-A, Dan Cathy, gave me a call and said, hey, I want you to come work for me over at these movie studios that I've built. So there's a movie studio on south and um, uh, south side of Atlanta called Trillith, T-R-I-L-I-T-H. And um, Stonehenge is a Trillith. It's a, it's a three-part structure. A doorway is a Trillith. And so it's called Trillith because it's all about being a gateway to inspiration. And so he wanted me to start what we now call Trillith Foundation. So it's been right at about a year. And so I'm also the CEO of Trillith Foundation to help mm. enrich the lives of the creatives who inspire the world. And the thought is that if we can enrich the life of the professional creative community, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, relational, then the work they create will be so much more enriching to the rest of the world. So that is a fun um, adventure and journey with Dan. And then also, like you said, I love to speak and write. Just launched my second book last week. And then I have a new uh, business launching a week from today, which will be very fun. Okay, so we're going to talk about all of that. <laughs> but I got to rewind a little bit because you said something. And part of, I think, my responsibility is when you say something that I think is important for the listeners to hear, we double click on it and go back because you you could just roll past it and it's like whoa wait a minute time out we got to <laughs> hear about that and there's one thing in particular i've been hearing it a lot lately lately relative to young people in my world who are trying to find the right role a job role for them mm. and one thing you said was you were about 10 years younger than kind of what they were thinking about and yet you got the job you were young um mm. so number one that's inspirational but number two is, uh, what do you think they saw in you when they gave you the nod? Oh, man. Um, I think because what they wanted was something that didn't exist for them, I think they saw some of those raw skills in me. And I say raw because... I didn't know that those were skills or gifts at the time. And the leadership that I interviewed with, I'll never forget. It was it was like seven hours of interviews oh with leaders of Chick-fil-A, the chief um, financial officer, chief operations officer, chief legal officer. Like I went around and the most intimidating out of all of them actually was a group of about 10 accounting women who were passionate about group exercise. And they were grilling me about, would we have step aerobics or spin or how's this going to work? And I remember they were the most intimidating out of all of them. But I think they saw in me um, that raw skill of being able to take something, I would call it galvanizing today, but take something that didn't exist and, and put, put something together, build something. It's entrepreneurship. Um, and I also think they saw a willingness to go for it. And I remember 
actually, this is funny. I asked my dad this question the other uh, three weeks ago. I was with him and I said, what's a moment that you were really proud of yourself? And then he flipped the question back on me. And I said, you know, I was really proud of myself as a freshman in high school. I'd been homeschooled for um, about six years and I went to private school for high school and I tried out for cheerleading and I wasn't very good. And they asked you to do like a tumbling trick. And my best trick other than a cartwheel was a back walkover, which is a much safer version of a back handspring. And I went to do that back walkover and my right arm gave out and I fell smack on my face. And I remember I like picked myself back up. I looked at the table of judges and I said, can I please do that again? And they said, yes. I said, okay. And so I went back and I did it a second time and my right arm gave out again and I fell smack on my face on the gym floor and I hopped up and I remember I asked again, can I please do that again? And the third time I did it and my husband and I talk about this a lot that we're like, we want our life to be about things that are meaningful. And as one of my mentors would say, make a dent in the universe. We want to be about big things. And that means you have to shoot your shot. Like you have to do the back walkover and fall on your face and get back up. Mm-hmm. And I think to an extent, you know, you fast forward what, you know, six years from that fall on my face moment. I think they saw some of that in me that like, this girl doesn't know everything, but she's willing to try. And if she falls on her face, there's a good chance she's going to hop back up and say like, hey, can I get another chance at that? So it's a great question. I'm really glad they did see something in me, but I, I think maybe they saw that she had some raw skills and she was tenacious enough to get back up if she fell down. Okay. So we're hanging, we're hanging with suspense on that third time. I assume you made it. I made it. I did it. I did it. Oh, it probably right. wasn't pretty, but I did it. <laughs> what a great story and great metaphor for for young people to hang in there. Hang tough, keep trying, don't give up when you fail. Yes, and it's not always going to look like you think it's going to look. It's mm. not always going to um, you know, feel as epic as sometimes we can dream it to be. But one foot in front of the other, like shoot the shot, go for it, try, raise your hand, stand up, give it your best. And if you fall on your face, just get back up. Yeah, a great lesson. Um, so Chick-fil-A. I mentioned I mentioned at the top that this the unsolicited in the suburbs of Maryland, um, oh, always the, the bank was from people in Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland, always ended up among the top. And um, if you look at the data, you know, Chick-fil-A has cooked their competition, pardon the pun. Um, if you look at the per store average, if you look at the valuation of of the store, if you look at the long list, the long lines of people trying to buy into Chick-fil-A and, and operate a store, um, it's crazy. And the per store, you know, numbers, which I don't have a to- off the top of my head, maybe you do. Um, they're they're killing, you know, people like McDonald's and Burger King and others, and they're only open six days a week. It's remarkable. So they're doing some things right. Um, I wanted to ask you, you know, one thing that um, you see people happy who are serving there. You, you hope it's real. You, it seems like it's consistent. What's it like to be on the, on the inside? Do they really walk the talk? Mm, yes, absolutely. 
you know, there's a blessing to be family owned and privately held. And the Catholic family is such a generous and authentic um, family. And so it really, it really is amazing. I don't think there's any perfect company, any perfect place, any perfect person um, on this earth right now. But I think that um, Chick-fil-A is one of those places that genuinely cares and you see a lot of that through the selection of operators. You mentioned the number of people that want to run a Chick-fil-A restaurant and be an operator. And the selection process is really lengthy and really in-depth. And Truett, our founder, he was always so focused and dedicated on making sure that that the operators that were running the restaurants, they truly were a reflection of him when he chose to grow beyond the two restaurants that he had to bring somebody else on. He wanted to have someone that he was very confident in their character and their chemistry as a organization in the competency that they had for being a business owner. And so that selection is really, really intense. And so with that, you get incredible leaders who are creating incredible cultures. So whether you're at the support center, or you're in a restaurant, the way that it is structured is to genuinely show that care and it, it not be just about, um, the business growth, but about the impact that we're having in the process. Yeah. And, and the impact that we're having on the process. So in order to have that kind of an impact, how, how would you describe how Chick-fil-A went about operationalizing the customer experience into the day-to-day? Yes. A big piece is that operator selection. Um, I think that so much, someone said this the other day, I thought it was so good. If you want to change the work, change the leader. I thought, Mm. oh, that's really good. The leader that's selected for work is going to make such a difference, whether that's a department, whether that's a restaurant, whether that's a team leader, that leader is really important. And the other thing I think is really important, Dan actually talks about this a lot, is repotting. He loves horticulture and gardening. And I actually had this lesson happen for me a few weeks ago. I have this fiddle leaf fig. And I think they're really beautiful. And they're for people like me who aren't good at keeping plants alive. They're pretty low maintenance. And um, my mom, I was talking to her. She said, yeah, I'm on my way to Home Depot to get a new pot for my fiddle leaf fig. I was like, why? Like she's a pretty frugal person. So I'm like, did your pot break? She's like, no, I have to give it a bigger pot. I have to repot it or its growth will be stunted. And I was like, wow, that's really good. Mm -hmm. Same thing Dana talks a lot about that as leaders, we need to be repotted. We need to be put in different environments, in larger pots, in different spaces to be able to grow. But what was interesting to me is when I was talking to her, I said, hey, so I'm probably going to need to do that because it's been two years and I haven't repotted my fiddly fig are there any tips? And she said, make sure you cut the roots. I thought, you know, that's exactly what it feels like when you're in the midst of being repotted, when you're in the midst of change, it feels like everything you've been confident about and known your roots just got cut. And you go from being like, I knew so much, like when I was in human resources and wellness, I knew so much about that. And then one day I moved into marketing and I thought, I know nothing. Like I went from an incredibly feeling like an intelligent individual to like, I have no 
like logical, helpful thing to contribute to this conversation because it feels like your roots have been cut. But what happens when those roots get cut is they get to re-root and they get to expand and they get to extend. And what happens in that tree is that it truly flourishes and it grows larger and bigger and that root system is even healthier. And so I think from the the operational side of things, it's about who is that leader that's leading that element and what is that growth that they need to continually have to be able to be the best leader they can be. And then there's super practical things of being able to make sure what are the main pieces that we want to communicate. So when it was hospitality for me, what do we need to make sure that every team member across the country knows and understands about how to treat guests and what are all of the ways that we can help bring that to life for them so that they know the reason why to do it and they know how to do it. And that that's just a few of the ways. I think Chick-fil-A is such an incredible organization with brilliant-minded people who genuinely care. And so there's so many different ways to make sure that the important things are operationalized consistently. Yeah. If you think about <clears throat> one of the things that that I share in um in the world that I'm in with, with either coaching, consulting, or doing some some training is um, this idea of creating as, as part of building a, a roadmap for customer experience is um, it's the third step, which is um, the roadmap itself. And, and it's a CX mission and, and principles around, like you just said, on how you want to treat the customers. Um, if there's sort of one overriding theme about how Chick-fil-A embeds into their culture about how we want our customers to be treated what what comes to mind for you hmm. we we talked a lot about care and making sure that people know that we care and i think care goes a long way these days yeah. and it can show up in a lot of ways and it requires a lot of empowerment because that's not always scripted but it's being able to have, Horst talked about this a lot at Ritz-Carlton, that the frontline team member or employee needs to know how empowered they are to make a situation right for a customer. Mm. And so that was a central theme that we really focused a lot on. And it shows up in a lot of ways. Again, it can be very nuanced, but care would have been a central theme for sure. Yeah, that's a great overriding theme. Um, and it shows up. I mean, the way the way people get treated, you know, if the, if there's a older woman who needs help to her car with all the food, you know, or you're waiting there and you might need a refill, um, you just feel like so. There's in, in in business, right? There's this tension between empowerment and then um, adhering to rules. Yeah. I think Horst did this really well with Ritz Carlton and he would have a meeting at the beginning of every shift where all of the employees would come together for a huddle and it was five minutes. It was brief, but they would talk about the things, the principles of hospitality. I believe he, he had 21 of them. And then they would talk about ways that they lived that principle out 
in the previous week. And so it gave a chance for everyone to hear all of these creative ways for how they could do something, how they could fix something, how they could go above and beyond for somebody. And in doing that, it helped create this culture of like, it's okay, I'm allowed to do these things. And I'm not going to be punished for them if I do them, if I go kind of outside of the script. So all those ways that we as leaders can help communicate and talk about the things that they're empowered and allowed to do. There's also a great example. Um, Bernie Marcus from Home Depot would start off his huddle meetings with a way that he had made a mistake or failed in some way. And it communicated that it's okay to do that that they wanted to have a culture of pushing forward and trying. And so as the leader saying, here's where I pushed forward and where I failed, it created that culture of empowerment to try. And it doesn't have to end up a certain way. I'm not going to lose my job because the idea didn't work out the way that I intended it to. But we get to learn from that process. So the words that we say and how we communicate, it can give that freedom and that empowerment all the way throughout the organization to make sure that everyone knows what's okay and how empowered they are to make things right. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm hearing is whether it's um, Chick-fil-A or Ritz or anywhere else, the, the, the way it works is you can't just post them on a board and say, here they are. You have to kind of live them and communicate them on a regular basis. Yes, because as leaders, we're going to get what we model, create, and allow. And mm. it's not we're going to get what we post and email and text. Like We're going to get the things that we live out, that we actually intentionally design for, and the things that we allow to continue happening. Though That's what's going to ultimately create the culture that we have. Yeah. Elizabeth, you wrote you wrote a book that was released in 2022 <clears throat> called The Power of Customer Experience. And it the subheading there is five elements to make an impact. Can you share with us briefly what those five elements are? Yes, absolutely. So the first one is to choose your mindset. So often in our lives, we focus on the action and the results, the behavior and the results, but the mindset actually precedes our behaviors and our actions. And so when we think about the story that we're telling ourselves about a situation, it actually leads into the successful outcomes that we want to have. The second one is to create your culture. And so culture is what people feel when they experience our brand. And the customer experience is never going to be better than the employee experience. So we have to be so focused on what's that culture we're creating for employees that then is just going to overflow onto the customers. The third one is to know your customer. All of the um, true analytics data folks, researchers love this one because it's like if we don't know who we're who we're serving, if we don't intentionally know who we're serving, then we won't be able to serve them intentionally. We have to know what they value, what they want, what they want next, et cetera, and who they are and the brand that we are in serving them. The fourth one is to define our differentiator the things that set us apart and how we can be consistent in those. If we're not consistent in them, then they're not differentiators. They were just one-time things. And then the last one is to pursue innovation. 
And so we constantly have to be looking where the puck is heading, like Wayne Gretzky would say. Southwest is a great example of this. Herb Kelleher often talked about, we're not going to rest on our laurels. We're going to stay scrappy. We're going to think about what's next. And so we have to have at least a subset of our organization and our people thinking about the curve that is coming while we're in the midst of the curve that's growing. So we have to pursue innovation. And those are the five. Those are, those are awesome. And you said that customer experience will never be greater than the employee experience. Could you say more of that and how maybe that was demonstrated? Yeah. So it's so easy, I find, when we're thinking about the experience that we want customers have, that we just jump over culture. And we think about this is how we want the journey map. This is what we want the design to be. This is what we want the employee to say and do. Well, that's a human behind what we want that employee to say and do. And they've got feelings and they have a life and they just came from all of the things that they're experiencing to get to work and be in this place. And the culture that we create is the greatest indicator for that experience that we want to create. And so truly, when you have a great employee experience, it overflows onto the customer. When you have a really poor employee experience, it overflows onto the customer. And you think about, you don't typically go into stores. I was in a furniture store the other day. You can walk in and feel the vibe of that culture. You can tell from the employees and how they're acting. And this day and age, I have never been into a store where the employee is so frustrated in their job. They hate it. And you walk up and they just change and they're like, hi, welcome. We're so glad you're here. No, they're like, what do you want? Mm. What do you want? Because that is a reflection on the selection that was made for that employee. And it's a reflection on the culture that is created in that dynamic. So yes, we have to think about that ultimate customer experience that we want. And then we have to go, so what's the employee experience that we have to have to be able to make that possible? Because the people are the game changers. The process has to be efficient. The systems have to be efficient. But then it's the people that are added onto that that truly make an experience remarkable. Where you walk away and you go, wow, I kind of feel a little bit restored in humanity. That person made me feel so special. Um, again, systems and process have to be there. But you add the people component onto that. And that's what makes it truly remarkable. Yeah. And what what I love about what you said is that, number one, we have to recognize that there are humans. And one of the things I want to piggyback off what you said was you, you were describing some frontline experiences. I would extend the sentiment to people who support the frontline all the way, whatever direction in the organization, right? So if they're unhappy, you're going to get accounting reports that are late, that are not accurate. You're going to get legalese from your legal department that doesn't isn't user friendly you know all the way down to when someone goes to let's just say unpack the in the case of the restaurant unpack the food you know there's something wrong and that takes them twice as long and that could all emanate from the way people feel about their role in the in the organization right a hundred percent. And that's why actually both books were so passionate for me to want to write them was as someone who was leading the design of hospitality for Chick-fil-A for 10 years, 
I had great resources, but I, I was designing it conceptually and strategically. But I thought, where are the resources for the 200,000 team members who are bringing this experience to life or not? How do they understand and know the impact that them smiling at someone, treating someone with kindness, going above and beyond? How do they understand the impact that that's going to have? And what if they did? What if they knew intrinsically the benefit of their showing up and doing well and being excellent would have on someone else? And then after that book launch, it became this really interesting conversation around the culture piece of how few people are satisfied in their work. The statistics are really sad at how many people Mm. are not fully alive in their work. And I thought, hmm, what is this connection between the small percentage that are truly fulfilled in their work and the very small percentage of Americans that can articulate their purpose in life? And I found through that, that so many times we try to extract our purpose from our work instead of bringing our purpose to our work. And when we see the value in the role we're playing and we bring a much deeper meaning of why we are here and why we are doing this work, it changes everything. There's a great story of, um, I believe it was um, John F. Kennedy who was visiting NASA. He had taken over presidency and going to see what had been established before him of this pretty expensive governmental um, program for space exploration. And he went, and there's this, this story, you've probably heard it before, where he went up to someone who was cleaning the floors and he said, um, sir, what is what is your role here at NASA? And the man looked up as he was vacuuming and he said, I'm helping put a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. And we know that our role and what we're bringing to that role is a part of something that's so much bigger. We show up differently. We go home differently. We feel differently. We wake up differently. And so that combination between understanding the impact we have, whether we're our front lines or like whether we're serving other employees or we're serving B2B or we're serving directly to a customer, um, when we know the impact we can have and when we understand the purpose of why we are here and what we're bringing to that work, it changes everything. So what what I hear um, what I hear you saying is purpose is really critical. And also I'm listening and I'm hearing um, there's some responsibility on the employee's part here of how they show up uh, to work, which is, you know, they can, they can, if they understand their purpose and you say it's just a small percentage of, of Americans anyway, do, you know, we show up to work. If we show up to work, we can have a better, uh, a better experience at work. Um, we can enjoy life more um, and we can contribute more to our employer. What, what's the balance there between the environment the employer needs to create versus the employee showing up ready to work? Yes. I think it it is that it's like the difference between a victim mindset and a victor mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that I can control? Because I can't control how my employer makes decisions. I can't control um, all of the policies. I can't. But I can control, like you said, how I show up. People notice people who do a good job at their job. I can be in control of doing a good job at my job. But there comes a point and you know Ken Coleman is a great person who talks a lot about like when's the moment when you're in a toxic work situation and you need mm. to 
You need to change yeah. that. I think yeah. that's an important distinction. So I think we as individuals, when we come in with a victor type mindset of what is in my control and what can I do to set a positive example and do a good job, when we do that really well, people will notice that. Whether they're other customers, I mean, you've probably gone to a store where you're like, wow, that Walmart employee, I want to offer them a job right now. They're amazing. People notice and they're going to swoop you up and be like, hey, I want you to come and work for me. There's a woman who helped read my first book and give feedback. And I tell a story about her son in it because she told me he worked for Jimmy John's and there was a customer who made accidentally a duplicate order and he recognized what had happened. He showed up to deliver this freaky fast sandwich you know, order and he told the customer what had happened and said, hey, I can take care of this. Let me just give you the one order and I'll fix all of this. And that man, the customer said, thank you so much. While you're here, can I have you talk with someone? And so the young man said, yeah, I'd I'd love to. And it was the HR director for the company. And the HR director said to him, oh, I see you met our CEO. And uh, I think he wants to offer you a job. And sure enough, they offered him an internship for that summer because he had done such a great job at his job. And it's so easy to be like, I'm just delivering sandwiches. That's all. It's not that big. But that's so important to understand that deeper role behind it and to understand the importance of doing a great job at that. On the other side, as leaders, we are extremely responsible for the cultures we create. And that often it's said that leaders don't, I mean, um, employees don't leave companies, they leave leaders. And so we have to make sure that we're repotting, that we're cutting our roots, that we are self-aware enough to know what is the culture that I'm modeling? What am I creating for my team? And how happy are they? And what do I need to do differently? So when we do that, we start to create a healthier culture where people can thrive and repot themselves. So I think both are critically important. But the more that we can own our own piece of the pie, whatever piece of the pie we're representing, the better, because there's always something that we can do to be positively impacting a situation. Excellent. Um, so I appreciate you delineating the difference there between the employee and the and the and the uh, and the employer and the responsibilities there. It's very interesting. Um, tell me the name of the new book that just came out. Yes, the strength of purpose. So the power of customer experience and the strength of purpose. Okay. And tell me what the white space was for you to write that book. <laughs> the white space, like where was the margin to do it? Like like what was missing out there in the market that said, you know, somebody needs to write a book on this and it's yes. going to be me. Yeah. So the statistic that I found was 75% of people can't articulate their purpose. And five years ago, I had a really, uh, I had a shakeup situation in my professional life that really got my attention. And what I found, Mark, was that I was, I was taking my purpose from my work. I was so mm-hmm. identified with my work that when something shifted and changed, I was rocked. And I thought, this isn't good. I started at twenty one. So over these 20 years, I grew up so connected in with such an incredible organization, which is beautiful. 
But if I start extracting my purpose from the company, I'm not going to add as much value to them. And it's going to be really, really life-changing for me when, when my when my life changes and maybe I find myself in a different job like I am now. And so um, that was the impetus for me because then I was searching for resources to help me go, well, what is my purpose that I can actually bring and contribute to such an incredible company? And the Lord was so gracious because I was able to put words to that and it changed my circumstance because I changed And so in me changing and growing, it then started to cause me to go, huh, if purpose is so important for ultimately thriving as businesses, and only 75% of people can articulate their purpose, and arguably a similar number of people are dissatisfied in their work, what if there's a connection there? What if there's a way to know so much of why we exist and what our gifts are to the world, and we can align those into our work in a way that actually helps ourselves and our organizations grow? Maybe there's something there. So originally, the book was going to have a very heavy work bent to it. And I had a group of 25 people from different industries read it. And they said, Elizabeth, you got to make this one about the person and then make the next one about living out our purpose at work. So this this one is focused really on being able to know it for ourselves. And then there's a bit in the book about how to bring that purpose to work. But it sounds like maybe there's going to be a third book in the future. Hmm. All right. You heard it here first. (laughs) (laughs) Great, great stuff. Really, really, really deep stuff. Um, and I'm so glad you're writing about this and, um, you know, having been where you have and traveled through the organizations, the great organizations that you've worked with, um, it really gives additional authority. And and sh- and I appreciate your vulnerability about sharing the, the shift you had a few years back where you had to reexamine, you know, what what your purpose was in life and who who you were working for and what was going on. It reminds me a little bit of Simon Sinek and the Golden Circle you know, where he talks about how, what, and and why is in the center. And oftentimes companies get it wrong because they're, they're thinking about what customers want or how they want it versus the why behind people don't buy what you build. They buy why you, why you do it. Yes, absolutely. Start with why is such a great book, such a great book. And in some ways, I I hope that the strength of purpose is similar to that for the individual of not just figuring out what we do, but like the being yeah. of why we exist. And when we know that, it's such a big, esoterical, scary kind of question. But I thought there's got to be a way to make it practical and approachable because when we can answer that, it is life changing. And so I hope that we can move that statistic down so that 75% of people can articulate their purpose um, and not only 25%. Love it. Love it. Okay. So, one thing I want to rewind um, on is you mentioned you were doing design and strategy for Chick fil A. And I wanted to ask you, like, bring bring us a little bit on the inside and share, like, one one initiative or project that maybe you're the most proud of that you were involved in designing. Mm. You know, I was blessed to pick up the baton from a gentleman named Mark Mortakis, and he worked closely with our president at the time, Dan Cathy, and our founder, Truett Cathy, to create what is known as the hospitality for Chick-fil-A today. 
So I got to help steward things like my pleasure and appearance and apparel and the ways that team members would serve guests, delivering meals to tables, going above and beyond. That was really, really fun and meaningful. A lot of companies are so focused on the bottom line that they miss out on those margins of opportunity to truly distinguish themselves. And Chick-fil-A is one that was willing to go above and beyond and distinguish ourselves in a space that really all that came to be was in 2008 when our country was going through a really hard time financially. And Dan and Trivet said, let's over-index on hospitality. Let's take our people, which are one of our greatest assets, and let's be able to go above and beyond with that. Um, and then also... Um, my last year and a half before I moved to another entity related to the business um, was in research and development. So I got to help tinker with the future, which was so fun. And some of the projects that we were working on there, while I can't talk about the details, they'll be coming out into restaurants in the next three to five years, which will be really, mm. really fun of ways to go above and beyond and serve customers, make things more efficient and consider the advances of technology to help us be able to be more effective and efficient at what we do. So will that mean I'll be able to eat some of that yummy food and have less calories? That would be awesome. I don't <laughs> I wasn't on the menu team. I was just on the service. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um so you mentioned just for a fun here, uh, because you're you're obviously high energy and always thinking and very creative. And you mentioned you've got a new line, it's in the world of clothing. Can you share, you know, what inspired you and what's coming out? Yes. Yeah, so it was during COVID, actually. My son, uh, who's now 10, he was seven and we were all home a whole lot more, which meant we were probably wearing loungish wear a whole lot more. And I realized that I had this interesting tension that the sleepwear that seemed available was either modest for him, cute for my husband, or comfortable for me. But I couldn't find anything that was all three. And I was buying a lot of pajamas. And I was talking about this a lot. My husband and I drink our coffee every morning and we sit together. Um, and I would talk about it a lot. And one day he's like, babe, you either need to do something about this or you probably need to like stop talking about it. So I called one of my friends who's in the fashion industry. And I said, I need you to talk me out of this idea because I've got you know two little kiddos and work and all of this, but here's the idea. He's like, Elizabeth, you got to do it. He said, I'm going to help you. I'll help you get started. So now fast forward three years and we have this beautiful clothing line. It's called Slumber Sleepwear. We're starting with females and bridging this gap between comfort, cuteness, and also, you know, appropriate modesty around the house. And um, we launch a week from today. So we are in that customer experience vetting right now. Does the website work? Okay, what does that auto-generated email say? Does it link them to the right place? Is it easy to purchase? Like, do they know what they're getting? All of that detail right now. We're in the midst of that. We're starting with women. We have four pieces. Um shorts, joggers, tank, and a tee. And then we'll, we have more products that I'm excited to create, but we've got to make sure that this first set is meaningful for customers. We did do a market test, 70 women and 80% were highly satisfied. And then of the 20% that were satisfied, 
half of them had the wrong size. So we said, okay, that's fixable. I think we're going to go for this. So slumbersleepwear.com, it will be ready for purchase on November 15th um, in time for holiday shopping and gift giving. And it's just been such a fun family adventure. Our eight and 10 year old are involved and they got to learn how fabric is knitted and the cut and sew process. They got to visit the factories. They're all in the US, which has been a really Mm. fun process. Um, Our distribution center is in uh, South Carolina, our pattern makers in South Carolina, the yarn is from the Carolinas, and then the mill and the factory are in California. So it's been really fun to help grow those businesses while pursuing this big dream as a family. Mm. And you can can sleep better and you can lounge around the house better. Yes, (laughs) and the fabric is the softest fabric I've ever felt it's fantastic and it's sustainable so double win mm, double win um so uh before we end we have to land the plane here but i have one question that i'd like to ask my guests on the show to kind of end the show it's a little more personal in nature is what advice would you give to your 20 year old self mm, i think it's um it's tapping into the first and middle part of our conversation today. I think it's a combination of know your purpose and shoot the shot. When the moment comes and you've got the ball, shoot the shot, go for it, try it, fall on your face and get back up again. Love it. Shoot the shot. Shoot the shot. <laughs> um, Elizabeth, what a pleasure. Um, if, if we had guests who were interested, or not guests, uh, audience m- members and listeners who were interested in getting a hold of you, what would be the best way? Yes. Um, Instagram and LinkedIn, I'm on there most at Elizabeth Dixon Speaks or backslash Elizabeth Dixon Speaks. And then also, I'm going to be spending a lot of fun time at Slumber Sleepwear. So at Slumber Sleepwear and backslash Slumber Sleepwear. Um, I think we're on a bunch more social media outlets for that one too. So either of those places is great. Excellent. I am so delighted that you were able to join us on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. What an honor, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.